Okay. We are in Ezekiel. And we're started. There's a lot of things in Ezekiel about the judgment of God on the nation of Israel. And they are not the same, uh, but it's the same theme. But they're very different. But we're moving ahead to chapter 37 tonight. And we're going to hit a couple highlights as we go on the next few weeks uh, to wind up the book because it's coming that time of year. Before you know it, it'll be Thanksgiving. So uh, Ezekiel 37, of all the chapters, this is probably the most famous chapter in the book of Ezekiel. And when I was a little kid, we sang a song and we sang it and we sang it and we sang it. Hip bones connect to the leg bone, leg bone connect to the knee bone. It came from this passage uh, of scripture. Old Negro spiritual, now hear the word of the Lord. Them bones, them bones, them dry bones. <laughs> well, that's where this passage, that song came from this passage, chapter 37. It's his, probably one of his most famous passages because uh, it's an extraordinary passage. And certainly, here's an unusual man that God talks to and God speaks to in a very unusual way. And uh, we begin uh, chapter 37 now. Here we go, right at the beginning. The hand of the Lord was upon me and carried me out in the spirit of the Lord and set me down in the midst of the valley, which was full of bones, and caused me to pass by them round about. And behold, there were very many in the open valley, and lo, they were very dry. And so here's another vision that Ezekiel has. God's going to take him for a ride again. You remember he grabbed him by the hair and took him all the way to Jerusalem. We said, was he actually there? I don't know. I can't say whether he was or not. And here's another vision. Did this actually happen? Well, uh, it was a vision. God showed Ezekiel. You know, he's got a very specific purpose for it that we'll look at. Uh, but uh, he sh takes him, picks him up, and he goes flying through the air into this valley. He's somewhere, we think, up in Babylon somewhere in Chaldea, as they used to call it. Uh, and he goes through this valley. Now, whatever happened in that valley is hard to say, but it's full of bones. And the bones have laid out in the sun, and they have become bleached and dried, and the sand is blown over them, and uh, there's nothing left but bones. And it's kind of a ghastly scene because there's lots of bones. It's not just one or two people. There are hundreds of bones. And you can picture in your mind uh, skulls and rib cages and uh, leg bones strewn all over the place, half buried in the sand. And they have been there apparently a very long time because they have dried out. It takes a long time for a bone to dry out. A bone is naturally a wet thing, right? You, See your chicken bone after you eat it. <laughs> Bones are wet things. Well, these were all dry, bleached out, and, and it's a little bit of a ghastly scene that he looks at as he God takes him through the valley, flying through the air. Here, look, look at all these bones, and there's many of them. He said, very many, all across the valley. 
and these white bones so dry that they kind of have a ring to them if you were to click them together. So it shows a lot of death where there's been a lot of death and bones are strewn all over. Verse 3, and he that is God said to me, Ezekiel, son of man, can these bones live? Well, the answer to that is obvious, no. They can't live. They're all dried out. Even if they were wet, where's everything else? <laughs> it's just bones. And so the first response, if you were to look at a valley full of skulls and rib cages and everything all thrown all over the place, uh, you'd say, well, this is just all death. Everything is dead. And is there any life? Can these bones live? No, they can't live. But that's not what he answered. And I answered, O Lord God, thou knowest. This is a good answer, see. He says, I I don't think so. And if you ask me, I would say no. But God, you know. You're asking the questions, and you know. And uh, so what, I don't know what to say. He said, I don't think that they can live. But... uh, You know not me. You brought me here for a reason. Verse 4, And again he said unto me, Prophesy upon these bones, and say to them, O ye dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. And so he's supposed to preach to the bones. (laughs) Well, I don't know if you ever preach to dead people or not. Uh, I think I've preached to a lot of dead people. Uh, and uh, I'm not talking about funerals either. I'm talking about uh, people that I had to urge sometimes, some places where I preached to go out and take everybody's pulse and make sure, just to make sure, because uh, there was no response unresponsive. But he says to him, preach to the bones. And you first ask yourself, why? They're dead. They got no ability to hear. They can't do anything. And so you would have said, can the bones live? No. Preach to the bones. Why? Would be your first response. But Verse 5, Thus saith the Lord God unto these bones, Behold, I will cause breath to enter into you, and you shall live. And I will lay sinews upon you, and bring up flesh upon you, cover you with skin, and put breath in you. Ye shall live, and ye shall know that I am the Lord. So God says to him, yeah, you're going to preach to the bones and tell them, you're going to know that God is real because you're going to live again. And if you think about bones, it reaches a point where they're all scattered all over. Our bones are held together by ligaments, right? Things like that. And if those are gone and rotted away, they've been there a long time. They've been there a long time. So uh, he says, you're going to have to preach to these bones. So verse 7, I prophesied as I was commanded. And as I prophesied, there was a noise. And behold, a shaking, and the bones came together, bone to his bone. Man, that would make your hair stand up on end, wouldn't it? 
All of a sudden, all across this value here, he's rattling of bones as they go rolling and slipping and coming together. And there's how the song came from, shoulder bones connected to the arm bone, connected to the, you know. And so uh, these bones start to move. And they line up, and now you got a valley full of skeletons. They're just skeletons. They're just as dead as they ever were, only now they're organized <laughs> like a church. All right? And so uh, they're, they're, they're dead, but now they're organized. And verse 8. And when I beheld, lo, the sinews and flesh came upon them, and skin covered them above, but there was no breath in them. So as he watches, those bones begin to make a connection, and the ligaments and sinews tie the bones together, muscles begin to form and develop over the bones, and now we got this really gory look of uh, just muscles and bone. And then suddenly skin, skin's a wonderful thing, isn't it? I'm always amazed at skin. I think it's a great thing. One of God's great inventions. And suddenly these bodies start to be covered with skin. So I don't know what's worse, a valley full of bones or a valley full of corpses. I, don't, I think I'd rather have the bones. And these, now there's just the valleys full of corpses because he said that everything came together but there's no life and he said unto me prophesy to the wind prophesy son of man and say to the wind thus saith the Lord God come from the four winds O breath and breathe on these slain that they may live so I prophesied as he commanded me preaching to a whole bunch of corpses and breath came into them, and they lived and stood on their feet, an exceeding great army. Wow. That was quite a sermon, all right, that he preached. Now, let's see what it's all about. Verse 11. He said unto me, Son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. And behold, they say, our bones are dried, and our hope is lost, and we are cut off for our parts. Therefore prophesy, say unto them, Thus saith the Lord God, Behold, O my people, I will open your graves, cause you to come out of your graves, and bring you into the land of Israel. You shall know that I am the Lord when I have opened your graves, O my people, and brought you up out of your graves. And I shall put my spirit in you, and you shall live. I shall place you in your own land. You shall know that I, the Lord, have spoken it and performed it, saith the Lord. So, Ezekiel does what he says. He preaches to the bones, and the bones move, and he says, then they get flesh and skin. And he says, preach to the wind. He preaches to the wind, and the wind comes whistling through the valley, and it puts uh, breath in these, and they stand up a great army. It might be that they were once an army that was utterly defeated, and they're laying there with rusty swords next to them, and now they stand up again once more as a great army. And he says, here's what we're trying to do. We got a problem. In verse 11, he said to me, Son of man, these are the bones of the whole house of Israel. Behold, they say, our bones are dried, our hope is lost, and we are cut off. We have lost all hope. 
and we are cut off. We are cut off. It's a Ezekiel had a hard time in what he was supposed to preach. God would tell him through the whole book, we're going to have judgment on Jerusalem. They've been uh, worshiping idols. They got one right next to the altar in the temple. They got women prostituting themselves in the courtyard of the temple. In the back room, they're worshiping pictures on the walls and burning incense to them. And there's a whole bunch of the leadership with their back towards God worshiping the sun. Your temple is a disaster. I'm not going to have it anymore. I'm going to remove my presence. And we saw God moving away from the temple and abandoning it. And then God said, I'm going to send Nebuchadnezzar and he's going to put an end to all what you've been doing and we're going to wipe you out so there'll be nothing left of you. It'll be gone completely. And so that's what he sets out to do. And when he does, he thoroughly wipes out the place. It says that the Babylonian army, the Bible says it, when they came in, they took Jerusalem for the last time. They set every house on fire. Every house. Not just the temple. They burned the temple too. But if there was a house in town, it burned. Until you can imagine it must have been quite a fire. There's no fire company going to put that out. All right. There's a huge fire. The whole city's burning. And then they went and said, we'll fix it so nobody ever wants to go back. Knocked all the wall over. It was a rather large wall around the city of Jerusalem. They knocked the whole thing over and tore everything to pieces until everything was in rubble and ashes. The whole place was rubble and ashes. Then they took the people. They killed about a third of them. And when, uh, whatever was left, they said, you're going with us, and you're going off to be captive. So, Ezekiel's job was to tell them that that was going to happen, right? He kept saying, tell Jerusalem they're going to fall. And they said, no, we're not. God's on our side, and we're patriotic. And we're not going to have that kind of trouble. That's never going to happen to God's city and God's people, Jerusalem. Well, he said, you're not my people, not the way you behave. And so it's going to happen. And they, and they got mad at Ezekiel. They got mad at Jeremiah. Anybody who said that the city was going to fall, they said, you're being unpatriotic. Don't keep saying those things. And so the whole message was Jerusalem's going to fall, and nobody believed him. Well, then it did fall. Not just fall, it was utterly destroyed. And if you went by there, there's no people, there's no buildings, there's nothing. It's gone entirely. And there's people somewhere way up north in Babylon, Iran, Iraq, way up north, where we would call it now. They're way up there, out of sight, and they are captive in a strange land. And now they are really feeling low. Really. Turned out Ezekiel was right. 
And now we have lost all hope. It's done. It's over with. It is so bad, and the destruction is so complete, and we are so scattered. Because they were all the way Jews, captive Jews, and all the way from Greece, all the way across uh, the desert, all the way out to Iran, spread out all over the whole area. Uh, and uh, very few little colonies here and there. But they're, they're gone. The nation's gone. The people are gone. Uh, their worship is gone. They don't have anything that was made them who they were. And so they're totally hopeless. And now they're going around. That's it. We're all finished. We will never do it again. It is over. Now Ezekiel said, no, it's not. It's not over. It's not over. <laughs> Ezekiel, we didn't like you, what you said before, and now you're offering us hope. And there isn't any hope. See, no matter what he preaches, <laughs> they don't like it. <laughs> and he says, there is hope. And so this is meant to show them how bad can it get? Well, here's a valley full of bones that are burnt out, dry, bleached in the sun, separated and scattered. And he says, can they live? Ezekiel says, uh, <laughs> you know, not me. You know. And so then we watch as he preaches and the bones come together and they get covered with flesh and covered with skin. And then he preaches again and life comes rushing into them and they stand up an exceeding great army. He says, the message for the nation of Israel is that you're going home. We're going to make this work. You're going to go home. Don't be discouraged uh, you did the wrong thing and you paid a price for it, but I'm going to bring you back. I am going to resurrect you. There's going to be a resurrection of your nation and you'll be uh, brought together. And so that's kind of exactly how it happened even. And uh, if we trace a few things, we can kind of uh, see how it worked just like the vision, 2 Kings 25, now keep your finger here because we'll be back here, but 2 Kings uh, before Chronicles and after Samuel is Kings, 2 Kings right in the end of it, chapter 25, we get the description of what happened a total havoc that was in the fall of Jerusalem. Second uh, Kings 25, verse 8. In the fifth month and the seventh day of the month, which is the 19th year of King Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, came Nebuchadnezzar, captain of the guard, a servant of the king of Babylon unto Jerusalem. He burnt the house of the Lord and the king's house. And all the houses of Jerusalem, every great man's house burnt he with fire. And all the army of the Chaldeans that were the captain of the guard break down the walls of Jerusalem round about. Now the rest of the people were left in the city and the fugitives that fell away to the king of Babylon with the remnant of the multitude did Nebuzaradan, the captain of the guard, carry away. And the captain of the guard left to the poor of the land to be vine dressers and husbandmen. 
and the pillars of the brass that were in the house of the Lord, the bases and the brazen sea that was in the house of the Lord, did the Chaldeans break in pieces, carried the brass of them to Babylon. There was a huge uh, washing bowl made out of solid brass. And underneath it were 12 solid brass oxen with three facing that way, three facing that way, three that way, and three that way. And they had this huge brass bowl on their backs, all made out of brass. And they said, we can use this brass. And they smashed them up and uh, destroyed. That's the, the laver. It's called a laver where the priest would wash and prepare to make sacrifices. Verse 14. And the pots and the shovels and the snuffers and the spoons and all the vessels of brass wherein they ministers took they away the fire pans and the bowls, such things were of gold and gold of silver and silver, captain of the guard took away. So he has stripped the temple of all of its furnishings. Golden candlesticks, golden bowls used in sacrifice. Bowls used uh, silver to catch blood when they're sacrificing animals. All gone. There's nothing left of the house of the Lord. It's burned to the ground. The vessels are gone. The labor is gone. Everything is gone. So the entire worship system of the Jews is dismantled and torn to pieces. And there's nothing left. That's why they feel like, how can we ever make this happen again? Now, over the book of Ezra. Ezra, Nehemiah, Esther, and Job. Look at the book of Ezra. And you kind of see how the vision works out in reality. Ezra chapter 1. First one, the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah might be fulfilled. The Lord stirred up the spirit of Cyrus, the king of Persia. He made a proclamation through all his kingdom and put it also in writing, saying, Thus saith Cyrus, king of Persia, the Lord God of heaven hath given me all the kings of the earth, has charged me to build him a house at Jerusalem, which is in Judah. Who is there now among all of you his people? His God be with him. Let him go up to Jerusalem, which is in Judah and build the house of the Lord God of Israel. He is God which is in Jerusalem. So now the rattling of the bones. Everything's dead. People are nowhere thinking that it'll never happen again. And suddenly, what about these bones? Well, start to be movement. There's a voice come from God through King Cyrus. Go back home. I want you to go home and build Jerusalem. So the beginning of the vision, we see it here as Cyrus begins a movement from complete deadness. Nobody's going to Jerusalem. Now he's moving them back there. Over to chapter 4. Chapter 4 of Ezra. So they go back under Ezra, and they start to build a temple. But 
Verse 23, chapter 4, verse 23. When the copy of the king Artaxerxes' letter was read before Rehum and Shisha the scribe and their companions, they went up in haste to Jerusalem to the Jews and made them cease by force and power. Then ceased the work of the house of God which had Jerusalem, so it ceased to the second year of the reign of Darius the king of Persia. So you thought it was all gone, but then it stopped. What's, what's there? Just skeletons. They started, but still just skeletons. There isn't any life there. They've been stopped, just like in his vision. He looks across the valley, and now there's a whole bunch of skeletons there. That's not much to go on. Chapter 6 of Ezra, over another page, and verse number 6. Now therefore, Tatnai, the governor beyond the river, Sherbani, and your companions and Arachites, which are beyond the river, be far from thence. Let the work of this house God alone. Let the governor of the Jews and the elders of the Jews build this house of God in his place. Moreover, I make a decree what she shall do for the elders of the Jews of the building of the house of God, that of the king's goods, even the tribute beyond the river, forthwith expenses be given unto the these men that they be not hindered. So now the ch- government changes and they say, well, let's get that thing project going again. The king will help pay for it. So now we got skin, flesh and skin coming on the bones. It's not quite there yet, but we're getting there. And then a couple pages over to Nehemiah chapter 2. And this is where the life is breathed back into those Bodies. Nehemiah 2, verse 7. Moreover, Nehemiah said to the king, If it please the king, let letters be given me to the governors beyond the river that they may convey me over till I come to Judah. And a letter unto Asaph, the keeper of the king's forest, that he may give me timber to make beams for the gates of the palace which appertain to the house and for the wall of the city, for the house that I shall enter into. The king granted me according to the good hand of my God upon me. And so this is Nehemiah. And he says, I need to go back and finish the job. We got to get it going. And the king gives him letters. You need building materials. They're free. Here's a command to the owner of the forest. You can have all the cedars that you want to build a house. And so now there's new life back in. So it's kind of like Ezekiel's vision. Starts out, a little movement, sound and rustling. There's still dead bones, but it's a beginning. And then it stops, and then the flesh and, and, and the skin comes on him, but they're still dead. And then finally, the gates are open, and the life comes in, and Nehemiah rebuilds everything, finishes off, and Jerusalem is alive and well. So it's very much like the uh, vision that Ezekiel saw in 37, very much like that. Only thing is... Uh, uh, it's not, these, these people symbolize the restoration of the nation. Now, that's historical, that's what it's about, but it's a whole lot more than that. It's a whole lot more than that. God, giving this vision to Ezekiel, has opened up some possibilities so that we would begin to have a larger concept of who God is. 
We need a bigger concept of who God is. And uh, when God gives this vision to Ezekiel, it goes on and on and on and on. It's, it's not just about Israel. It's about what God can do and what God will do in particular uh, with bringing dead to life. Now, there are three things that we can apply here to the vision of the dry bones. Dry bones. We have something that's dead and there's no life, no way that life can come except God does it. Right. So we have three things to talk about. Death by sin and then the death of churches and then death of you and me bodies. Because the principles in the passage are much more than just the restoration of Jerusalem. The principles in the passage are the ability of God to take something dead and make it live. Not just hobbling along. When he makes it live, they stand up what? An exceeding great army. So it's a very successful change. And we start with the death of sin. If you look over at Ephesians chapter 2, very important verse, Ephesians, Galatians, Ephesians, and Philippians. You've heard of that one before. Ephesians chapter 2. There's a theme that runs through the Bible. It starts right in the book of Genesis where it begins. It continually goes through the Bible. And uh, in Genesis, Adam and Eve sin. And there is a law, God's law that runs over all of creation and everything that he's ever touched. The soul that sins, it shall die. So, here we have Ephesians 2, verse 1. You hath he quickened, or made alive, who were dead in trespasses and sin. They used to be dead, like the bones in the valley. But now they've been made alive, wherein in past time you walked according to the course of this world, According to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience. He says, you used to live a different way. What used to drive you, he says, was the courses of this world. Or in other words, this world rejects God, doesn't believe in God, doesn't want anything to do with God. Right. And the prince of the air, prince of the power of the air is Satan. Satan is part of that rebellion. 
And so that attitude that the world carries, we don't want anything to do with God, and Satan carries, and from him we get the exact thing, I hate God. That's what he thinks. I hate God. And so the world says we don't want anything to do with God. Satan says I hate God. And that you see coming to fruition now. Uh, He said you used to be that way. You used to be dead. You used to be dead. What does he mean by that? Sin has made people dead. He said, well, I'm not dead. I'm walking around. No, you're dead in a very specific way. Death by sin means you're dead to God in particular. And when I say dead, I like to use this word. Unresponsive. Unresponsive. Because someone who's dead is unresponsive, right? I shoot squirrels whenever I see one. If I get one, I'm going to get him if I can. And he's laying down there on the ground. And before I pick him up, I give him a little kick, see? If he goes like this, then I'm not going to pick you up so you can bite me. I want him to be unresponsive. So when a squirrel's on the ground, I just give him a little kick to my foot, and if he doesn't do nothing, he's dead. He can't respond when he's dead. Now, sin makes us dead, that is, unresponsive to God. We don't respond to God. That's what sin does to us. That's why Adam and Eve, in the beginning, what the first thing they want to do? Hide. From God. As soon as they sin, the first thought is, we got to get away from God. It's their beginning thought. The minute they do something wrong, hide from God. They're trying to get away from God. They don't want to respond to God. And so uh, people say, well, what do you mean by that? Well, you know people, and I know people too. And if you said, let's talk about the Bible, <laughs> I don't care about the Bible. Let's talk about God. I don't care about God. I can live my whole life and have nothing to do with God. I can ignore God completely. I don't need God to live my life. And so they're unresponsive to God. They are died, become unresponsive to God in their lives. And so that's what he says. You're dead in sin. You don't respond to God at all. You don't care about them. You're not interested in them. Uh, and so you preach. And I told you I preached to dead people. And uh, literally preaching to people who don't care and not interested. Doesn't move them. They don't feel anything inside responding to them. Because they're dead to God. All right. And you say, well, isn't everybody a little interested? No, there are people who aren't interested at all. They feel nothing towards God. They're dead. And so what can you do with people that are dead? Well, should you preach to them? 
Ezekiel said, preach to them dead bones? Yeah. What's, what are you preaching? Here's what God said to you. God said to you. And he said, hear the word of the Lord. Uh, these bones can live. There can come life. It can be a quickening, or that is, we can begin to open our eyes and be responsive to God and feel God in us, speaking to us, and we begin to listen to what he says. Um, people sometimes wonder how that happens. There's a song in your hymn book. It says, Long my imprisoned spirit lay, Fast bound in sin and nature's night. All right. He said, a long time I ignored God. I was in dead in sin. I was unresponsive to God. And it says, thine eye or the eye of God sent to me light. Thine eye diffused a quickening light. I woke the dungeon flamed with light. He suddenly became aware of God because God sent light into my mind. Now, some people call that Calvinism. Just call it God. Don't worry about Calvin. He'll take care of himself. God trying to get through into the mind of people, into the heart of people, suddenly gives them a moment when they realize that God is real. Something happens to them. Something happened. Remember Bill Barton. Of course, I'm thinking a lot about Bill now. He was telling me, he said, I was driving home one day from work, and he'd just been diagnosed with a cancer that's about to take his life. And I got to work, and I said, where is he? You better go outside. you got to go talk to him. Why? Go out there. So I went out and found him outside. And he, we talked about living and dying. And what was necessary. And he said, I was driving home, and suddenly it was like a light came flashing through my body, and it came in one side and went right out of my feet. He said, I was just <gasps> shaking. I think that was God. I said, I agree. I think it was too. The eye of God sent a light, and it suddenly opened the mind so you can grasp and comprehend about God. I don't know, you know how that happens, but I know it happens. Wayne Dickinson just died here a week or so ago, and I remember he was sitting right over there where Bob's sitting on a Good Friday. And uh, he had started to come to church by accident. <laughs> I love that. He wasn't supposed to inspect our church because he was our neighbor. He was a health inspector. But the person that was supposed to come and do it just couldn't come. So he apologized to me over and over. I'm not supposed to come because I'm your neighbor, but I'm coming anyway. I said, well, that's fine with me. <laughs> About a week later, he showed up in church. And a few weeks later was Good Friday. And uh, he received the Lord on Good Friday. He said, I had the sensation I was floating on air. And I asked God to save me. 
I had a sensation. I was floating. I never had anything like it before. Thine eye diffused a quickening ray. God sends into the mind a light that opens the mind and brings the ability to comprehend and take in God. And now, instead of being unresponsive, we become responsive and reactive and, and, and feeling towards God. That comes awake. And that, what is it? It's the bones. Right? It's the bones coming together and having flesh and skin. Then suddenly there's an agreement. As the light comes in, we begin to realize God's somebody we got to deal with. We got to work with God. We need to find out about God. We need to respond to God. When that happens, then there's a moment when we say, Yes, I'm with you. I'm taking God into my life. I'm going to do this thing. It's going to be real. I'm going to do it. And that's when the air and the wind blows. And there's life. You stand up and there's life. Jesus himself said what? The Holy Spirit is like a wind. It comes. We don't know where it came from. And suddenly there's life comes because of it. And so the... Valley of Dry Bones is not just the history of Israel, but it is the de dealings of God with man where there is death and unresponsiveness towards God, and it looks hopeless, like they could never possibly respond to God. Sure enough, there it comes. And I got to the point where somebody would say, or I would say in my own mind, I don't think that person is ever going to respond to God. And I'd stop and I'd say, that means they'll be coming to church Sunday. I've seen it over and over and over and over. I'd meet somebody and say, that person's not interested in God. That person doesn't care. They're never going to respond. And then next thing you know, they're sitting in church. So how did they get there? Because the eye of God sent light in and said, I want you to have life. And if you open your eyes and you'll begin to see and you respond to me, then I'll breathe that life into you. And you'll know life. Well, that's a wonderful application of Ezekiel's vision, right? more than just the history of Israel is the history of the human race being unresponsive and dead to God now made live can these bones live and we look across uh, people we see they're, they're never going to believe in God I used to say that about Bill I say I like Bill a lot but he's never going to come to church and he was sitting right there I said how'd that happen I didn't do it but God sent a ray of light and opened the door. And there was a responsiveness now to God. And so it is with many people that I've seen how God brings the life by opening the mind and beginning the first response towards God. God does that. And so that's one of the applications. And so I say you preach to dead people. Yeah, certainly have. People who don't care, who don't, aren't interested, who do not want to know. I had one guy, he sat through two or three sermons. He came up to me and said, I know everything about what you're saying. I already know it all. I thought, oh, you learned quick in three weeks. <laughs> Learn the whole thing. 
What was it? It's not that he knew it all. What? He really wasn't interested. He just didn't care. And then his brother committed suicide. And I went to the funeral home. And he said, uh, you got to pray for him. You got to pray that he can go into heaven. I said, sorry. I can't do that. I can't do that. Nothing I can do now. The time has passed. And that really changed that man's thinking. Oh, he was mad at me. He'd have killed me that night if he could have. But that's, that's the beginning of light sometimes when we find ourselves in opposition to God and suddenly realize we need him. We need him. We don't want to be told what to do. I want God telling me what to do. Making my decisions for me. But boy, all of a sudden, we sure do need him. That's awakening in the mind as people come to God. Now, I said churches die too. And we're sitting in the one that died. 1959, they had the last service here. And closed the door, it died. Church died. It was dead. Unresponsive. No spiritual life. They could shut the door and walk out and it was over. It's finished. And then resurrection. Huh? And there's life going to come back to the church. It's the history of the church from the very beginning all the way through. History of the church is they go along, get off course, and get deader and deader until they're dead as a doornail. And God's got to do something. The Catholic church got so dead, they were charging money to you just so you could be forgiven. Called an indulgence. Pay us, and we'll allow you to be forgiven. How wrong can you get? That's as far off as you can get from what really is. And along came this little monk named Martin Luther. And he said, that ain't what I think. He said, I think you're going to trust and believe in God, and that's what you need to do. And so what they do? They hauled him up in front of the council, condemned him to die, and they said, now what do you got to say for yourself? He said, here I stand. What else can I do? And if it wasn't for the German princes who took him, they'd have killed him. All right, but he brought life back into a dead church. The Anglican church in England got to be dead as a doornail. At one time, it was against the law to sing in the Anglican church. Can you imagine? Sound familiar. It was against the law to sing in the Anglican church. And so this guy named Wesley... That you come out of my barn. I'll meet you in the field. I'll see you on the street corner. And we'll sing. And we'll preach. And we'll preach direct messages that you can understand. And suddenly there was a resurrected church. As a Methodist church became a place of new life. And so through history, you can go through it over and over and over and over and over again. And see, the church dies and becomes unresponsive. And God comes along like with the dead bones. 
I mean, I've been in services, and you've been in services too, where you think, does anybody get anything? Huh? You know what I mean? You sit there and you listen and you say, these people don't, they don't get it. The minister doesn't get it. He's as dry as, well, whatever, right? The service is dead. There's nothing in it. And what can God do? He can resurrect it and make it alive. He can change it. He can bring new life. So Ezekiel is talking about how dead can it get? It can get really dead. It can charge you money for the forgiveness of sins. That's how bad it can get, how far off it can get. So lost and so dark that they're totally gone from anything that God intended. And then God brings up a little German monk and he says, let's make those bones live. And they do. And they do. So God has the power not just with sinful individuals to quicken in their hearts and bring life, but with whole churches to change them and bring life into them. And then, of course, the ultimate goal of it is you and me, First Thessalonians. Back to your Bible, all the T's are together. Timothy, Titus, Thessalonians, and then Timothy and Titus. First Thessalonians. First Thessalonians, famous passage. We get told of something that's going to happen in the future. First Thessalonians 4, verse 15. We say this unto you by the word of the Lord, or this is what God says, that we which are alive and remain to the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them which are asleep. Or that is, if you're still living when the Lord comes, if you're still around when the Lord returns, something else is going to happen. Verse 16, for the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, the voice of the archangel, the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. There you go. There's the resurrection of the dry bones of Ezekiel. This time it's your bones and my bones. <laughs> my bones down in the graveyard, all dead and dried up in some box down there because I'm not going to let them burn me. I'll be in some old box all dried up there. And you'll say, can those bones live? And then that trumpet's going to sound. Why? We're coming out of the ground. That's why we bury people like we do in the cemetery, facing east. Because Jesus said he's going to come and show himself out of the east. And so when that trumpet blows and we sit up, we're looking east for him. huh? He's going to come back to life again. You are literally going to be like the bones in the valley. You are literally going to rise up. You are literally going to have a new body. That's a literal thing. You will be given a brand new flesh and a brand new body. It'll all come together and you'll come out of your grave alive and well and have a new body and you go forever with the Lord. Verse 17, we which are alive remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air 
So shall we ever be with the Lord. Comfort one another with these words. Get used to it. He says this is what's going to happen. It's going to be a fantastic thing. We're going to rise from the dead. All right. I'm going to literally, that's going to happen to us. So when he says, Son of man, can those bones live? He's talking about you. <laughs> you and me. Can these bones live? These bones are getting older, right? Some of you know, right? They're getting older. They don't work as good as they used to. They're a little bit slower. A little bit weaker as time goes by. And as they slowly fade into oblivion, have no fear because God said, can these bones live? And the answer was, yes, they can. So you and I are a strange bunch of people. We walk around thinking we're going to rise from the dead. Go out and ask people who are spiritually dead, who don't respond to God, you think you'll ever rise from the dead? <laughs> You've been watching Halloween movies or something. You know, we need to think Jason or whoever it is, is guys that are supposed to come back from the dead. He must be crazy. What is it, The Walking Dead? Is that the one? That, no, I've never seen it, but The Walking Dead. No, 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 no. Much better than that. We're going to rise up from the dead and go up to heaven, and it's going to be the time of our life. I'll tell you what, nothing like it. I can't wait to get there. It's a fantastic thought. You think, what are they doing there? Well, I want to go see. I'd like to see. I just have a thought, though. Because it says they're going to bring down the city. The new Jerusalem is going to come down from heaven to the earth. I think they're building it now getting ready to bring it down and that on our back walls a list of names and some of those fellows were carpenters and some of those they're up there working they're not you don't go to heaven just to float on a cloud and play a harp unless you're good at it <laughs> maybe you know there are some that might be good at it right. but uh, uh, you're going to work and as I understand the city of Jerusalem, as we've tried to figure out from what the Bible says, when it comes down out of the heaven, it'll cover a landmass the size of Europe. That's a big city. That's a big city. And what happens then? It says... God will come down and live with men. Now there's a dividing line between the dimensions. We live in this time-space dimension down here where we're trapped. But we can go when we die up to heaven. We get rid of this thing. We can go up to heaven. And someday heaven and earth come together. When heaven and earth come together, it says heaven came down on earth and God tabernacled with men. He's going to stay down here with us. And uh, then heaven and earth is the same place. Two dimensions melt together into one. And that fantastic city that they're building up there will come down here. And you've never seen anything like it. See, when you say this vision is for you and me, that's what we're talking about. 
We're talking about a future that your mind cannot comprehend. My mind can't wrap itself around. The stuff we know is enough to make me want to go right now. No more sickness. No more sadness. No more sorrow. No more pain. No more death. Is that, you want to go there? Amen. You kidding me? Let's go. That's where it is. And God shall be with his people. And he'll dwell among them. We won't even need a son anymore. What do you need a sun for? You got God. Huh? There's no need of moon or sun or stars to shine. No need of moon or stars or sun to shine by day. It is the new Jerusalem that shall not pass away. That's where we're going. So the resurrection for us uh, is a literal resurrection. His old dry bones. And the question, can they live and Ezekiel says, you know. And God said, you're right, I know. And they can. They can. Jerusalem is going to live again. Dead souls who are unresponsive to God are going to come alive and respond and live again. Churches that have laid down their armor and fell down and died dead in their tracks are going to stand up and live again. And you and I someday, when they call us out of the ground, are going to come alive and live again like you never lived before. Yeah, see... And they thought all hope is lost. To me, it's nothing but hope. It's all hope. It's all hope. It's all delightful. It's all wonderful. That's a pretty good old passage Ezekiel had, isn't it? Yeah. Yes, it is. I'm going to finish it. I hardly ever get to finish anything. There's a little bit here I want to finish. Because I think it's pretty fascinating. Verse 15 of chapter 37 of Ezekiel. The word of the Lord came unto me again, saying, Moreover, thou son of man, take thee one stick, write upon it for Judah, for the children of Israel and his companions. Take another stick, and write upon it for Joseph, the stick of Ephraim, for all the house of Israel and his companions. Join them together into one stick, and they shall become one in thy hand. Verse 24, David, my servant, shall be king over them. They shall have one shepherd, shall walk in my judgments, observe my statues, and do them. They shall dwell in the land that I have given them. Now, historically, the kingdom had divided in two. The southern part was Judah, called Judah with Jerusalem as its capital. Northern part was called Israel. There were ten tribes in the north, two tribes in the south. And uh, down south was one that lasted the longest, but Nebuchadnezzar destroyed the southern kingdom of Judah. And he said, now take a stick in your hand and write on it, Judah. Take one over here, write Joseph, because the main tribe of the northern kingdom was Ephraim, which was Joseph's younger son. Right on this one, Joseph and Judah. And then put those two sticks together and glue them up tight so they got one stick. We're going to tie those two kingdoms together and they're never going to divide again. What else are we going to tie together? Jews and Christians. <laughs> Tied together. People who sit on the other side of the fence and throw rocks at us because we read the Bible this way. <laughs> Somebody over there that says, well, you didn't hold your nose right when you said that. 
All those foolish little arguments all glued together into one stick, God's people. And we'll see how petty we have been. And God says, it's all going to be one stick now. They're all going to serve the Lord together. You're going to lay down those things, and I'm going to tie you together into one body, the body of Christ. And who's ruling? David, he says, or the son of David. So God said to David before he died, you will always have a son on the throne. And you follow history, and then it came to an end. When did it come to an end? Well, a few, couple hundred years before uh, Jesus came to this world, that was the last Jewish king. And then along came Herod, who was an Edomite. He wasn't even Jewish. He's the king then. You say, the Jewish kings are gone. No, no, there's one more. Jesus. How did he get to be king? Because he ascended up to heaven, and what did God say? Sit down on my right hand and reign till thine enemies become thy footstool. He's a king, and he is king because he has a never-ending life. So you sit on the throne forever and ever as the son of David. And that means all one united together glued together into one kingdom, the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ. Of the increase of his government, there shall be no end upon the throne of David to order and establish it, and he shall reign forever and ever. He shall reign until all his enemies are put under his feet. That's where we're going. i got to stop. Because I could go a long time. i got to stop. And so that was Ezekiel's most famous passage, but there's good ones coming still. Thank you. I'm finished.